Good morning. It's Iowimala, and today is Friday, January 29. And here in northern Illinois, not California, it is a beautiful, beautiful, sunny day. The snow is just bright and sharp, and we're at about 21 degrees, so we're warmer than yesterday. Um, we're into our really cold winter months, but it's beautiful. So, it's Friday. We've gone through almost another week and into a weekend. So, how are you doing? How do you feel your practice is going in this time of uncertainty and uh, isolation, or kind of semi-isolation for a lot of you? You may come home after a really busy day at work or be on your computer all day and then at the end of the day there's there aren't the usual things that you might do to uh, reconnect with people with your friends so I hope you're able to make connections with people and you're staying staying healthy and staying uh, patient because it appears that we have a long way to go before all of us get vaccines, get vaccinations. Certainly that's the case here. And we certainly want uh, all, all our essential workers. And we want those people to be vaccinated first, at least I certainly do. I heard, and I can't, I think it was, maybe it was China but I heard on the news the other day that they were going, uh, there were at least a group of people or some scientists there or someone uh, with a voice was saying that everyone under 65 should be vaccinated, that that would, should be the only criteria. And I thought, hmm, I, I guess they're deciding who to put on that raft and float it out into the into the ocean, put them on a, put the rest of us on a, the, uh, the ice flow and send us out. <laughs> so it's a different, uh, kind of a different way that we're doing it here. So one way is let's take care of all the, the younger people who are still productive and we can just let the others, and I, I guess I'm glad to be in America for that reason, that the older people are being looked after as well. That's the kind of age discrimination it, that doesn't really appeal to me. So I hope you're doing well. Hi, Josh. It's my good friend, Josh. It's good to see, see your name even pop up, Josh. I read yesterday from Ajahn Sumedha's book, The Way It Is, and I'd like to read another, just a few pages uh, from the same book. So, remember yesterday we were talking about his book, and uh, or I was talking about it, and it was the way, think, the way it is. He talked about the way it is and how we should all have that. Uh, I was thinking that'd be a good t-shirt or, or making something that I just hang from my computer, hang that phrase, this is, this is the way it is. So here's another chapter a few chapters later, and I'd like to read this because I think, it, and this is accepting the way things are. So first he told us 
we need to we need to live with that all the time, um, realizing that things the way they are. This is how it is right now. This is it. And let's see the way it is. And he said that was um, something. There's a wonderful. Well, he isn't living these days, but Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu is another Thai monk who's a, wow, an amazing teacher. Um, and that's what uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu said, a skillful, ref, a skillful reflection is, this is the way it is. And he also said, if there was to be a useful inscription to put on a medallion around your neck, it would be this is the way it is. This reflection helps us to contemplate whatever, wherever we happen to be, whatever time and place, good or bad, this is the way it is. It is a way of bringing an acceptance into our minds, a noting rather than a reaction. And I think we're, we're really having the experience almost every day in our worlds today of being being able to stop and reflect this is the way it is it's a time of it's a time of a lot of uh, division and polarization and even even if we're completely in tune with whatever's going on there's a lot of uh, not knowing right now so we don't know lots of things about covid-19 or the new variants coming out we don't know about the vaccinations, how those are going in other parts of the world and how they're going in our part of the world. And it's hard to know what uh, what's being opened, what's being shut down. So that's and that's just with COVID-19. That's that's with our with our schools and how they're reacting to it and how um, how the economy is doing. I mean, there's there's just a lot. There are a lot of balls up in the air in our country right now. So it's a difficult time. But like I'm trying to say about everything, here comes another great teacher. You know, this is all how we learn. This is how we learn to deal with impermanence and suffering and getting ourselves out of the way, not making everything be about ourselves. That's the non-self. Like, don't take everything personally or don't think everything is about you. So this chapter follows after and it's called Accepting the Way Things Are. And it's only a few pages, so I'd really like to read it. How many of you have been practicing today trying to become something? I have got to do this or become that or get rid of something or got to do something, that compulsiveness takes over, even in our practice of Dhamma. This is the way it is, isn't a fatalistic attitude of not caring or being indifferent, but it is a real openness to the way things have to be at this moment. For example, right now at this moment, this is the way it is, and it can't be any other way at this moment. It's so obvious, isn't it? It's right now in this moment. 
Right now, no matter whether you are feeling high or low or indifferent, happy or depressed, enlightened or totally deluded, half enlightened, half deluded, three-quarters deluded, one-quarter enlightened, hopeful or despairing, this is the way it is, and it can't be any other way at this moment. How does your body feel? Just notice that the body is this way. It's heavy, it's earthbound, it's coarse. It gets hungry, it feels heat and cold. It gets sick. Sometimes it feels very nice. Sometimes it feels very horrible. This is the way it is. Human bodies are like this, so that this tendency to want it to be otherwise falls away. It doesn't mean we can't try to make things better, but we do so from understanding and wisdom rather than from ignorant desire. The world is this way and things happen, and it snows and the sun comes out and people come and go. People have misunderstandings, people's feelings get hurt, people get lazy and inspired, and people get depressed and disillusioned. People gossip and disappoint each other, and there is adultery, and there's theft, drunkenness, and drug addiction, and there are wars, and there always have been. Here in a community like Amarawati, and that's a monastery in England that Ajahn's students started, we can see the way things are. Now it's the weekend, and more people come to offer alms food, and it's more crowded and noisy, and sometimes there are children running up and down, screaming, and people pounding vegetables and chopping things, and everything going all over the place. You can observe, this is the way it is, rather than, these people are impinging on my silence. I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be otherwise. Might be the reaction if you like the quiet orderliness of the meal where there's none of that going on and there are no loud noises or harsh sounds. But life is like this. This is the way life is. This is human existence. So in our minds, we embrace the whole of it. And this is the way it is, allows us to accept the changes and movements from the silent to the noisy from the controlled and ordered to the confused and muddled. Now remember, he's writing this either in 1990 or before, or it might be from a talk before then, and it couldn't be speaking to us any more loudly, could it? One can be a very selfish Buddhist and want life to be very quiet and want to be able to practice and have plenty of time for sitting plenty of time for studying the Dhamma, and I don't want to have to receive guests and talk to people about silly things, and I don't want to blah, blah, blah. You can really be a very, very selfish person as a Buddhist monk. It's true. You can want, you can want the world to align itself with your dreams and ideals, and when it doesn't, you don't want it anymore. But rather than make things the way you want them, the Buddha way is to notice the way things are. And it's a great relief when you accept the way it is, even if it's not very nice, because the only real misery is not wanting it to be like that. 
whether things are going not so well or well, if we're not accepting the way things are, then the mind tends to be creating some form of misery. So if you are, ta- if you are attached to things going nicely, then you'll start worrying about them if they don't go so well, even when things are actually going well. I have just noticed that with little things, such as when it's a sunny day and one jumps for joy, then the next thought will be, but in England, you know, the sun can disappear in the next moment. As soon as I've grasped one perception and I'm jumping for joy at the sunshine, then the unpleasant thought arises that it may not last. Whatever you're attached to will bring on its opposite. And then when things aren't going very well, the mind tends to think, I want them to be better than this. So suffering arises wherever there is this grasping of desire. The sensory world is pleasurable and painful. It's beautiful and ugly. It's neutral. There are all gradations, all possibilities in it. This is just what sensory experience is about. But when there's ignorance and the self-view operating, I only want pleasure and I don't want pain. I only want beauty and I don't want ugliness. Please, God, please make me healthy. Give me a good complexion, physical attractiveness, and let me stay young for a long time. Get lots of money, wealth, and power. No sickness, no cancer, lots of beautiful things around me. Surround me with beauty and the pleasures of the senses at their best. Please. Then the fear will come that maybe I'll get the worst. The worst. I could get leprosy, AIDS, Parkinson's disease, or cancer. I might be rejected and despised and humiliated and left alone, out in the cold, hungry, sick, and in danger, with the wolves howling and the wind blowing. From the viewpoint of the self, there's a tremendous fear of rejection, ostracism, or being despised in our society. There's a fear of being left alone and unwanted. There's a fear of being old and left to die alone. There's natural fear of physical danger, of being in situations where our bodies are in danger. And there's the fear of the unknown, the mysterious, the ghost, and the unseen spirits. So we gravitate to security, don't we? Cozy little places with electricity, central heating, insurance, and guarantees on everything. Rates paid and legal contracts. All of these give us a sense of safety. Or we seek emotional security. Say you'll always love me, dear. Say you'll love me even if you don't mean it. Make everything safe and secure. And in that demand, there's always going to be anxiety because of the grasping or desire. The grasping at desire. So we're developing a light around the uplifting of the human spirit rather than the material guarantees. As alms mendicants, you're taking the risk that you might not get anything to eat. You might not have a shelter. You might not have any really good medicine. You might not have anything nice to wear. People are very generous 
But as mendicants, and here he's talking to a group of monks and nuns, but as mendicants, we don't take it for granted, assuming that we deserve it. We are grateful for whatever is offered and cultivate the attitude of wanting and needing little. We need to make ourselves ready to leave and relinquish everything at any moment to have the kind of mind that doesn't think, this is my home, I want it to be guaranteed for the rest of my life. No matter which way it goes, we adapt to life, to time and place, rather than make demands. Whatever way it goes, it is the way it is. Whatever diseases I may get, or tragedies, or catastrophes, or successes, or the best to the worst, one can say this is the way it is. And in that there is acceptance and non-anger, non-greed, and the ability to cope with life as it's happening. We are not here to become anything or to get rid of anything, to change anything or to make anything for ourselves or to demand anything, but to awaken more and more, to reflect, observe, and know the Dhamma. Don't worry that it might change for the worse. Whatever way it changes, we have the wisdom to adapt to it. And that, I can see, is the real fearlessness of the alms mendicant life. We can adapt. We can wisely learn from all conditions because this lifespan is not a real home. This lifespan is a transition we're involved in. This is a journey through the sensory realm. And there are no nest, no homes, no abiding in this sensory, sensory realm. It's all very impermanent, subject to disruption and change at any moment. That is its nature. That's the way it is. There is nothing depressing about that if you no longer make the demand for security in it. The reality of existence is that there isn't any home here. So the homeless life, the going forth into mendicancy, is what they call a heavenly messenger, because the religious spirit is no longer sharing the delusions of the worldly mind, which is very determined to have a material home and security. You have the trust in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, and the teaching and the opportunities as mendicants and meditators for the insight and understanding to free the mind from the anxieties that come from the attachment to the sensory realm as a home. The idea of owning and hanging on to things is the illusion of the worldly life. The view of the self sends forth all these delusions in which we have to protect ourselves all the time. We're always endangered <clears throat> There's always something to be worried about, something to be frightened of. But when that illusion is punctured with wisdom, then there is fearlessness. We see this is a journey, a transition from the sensory realm, and we are willing to learn that lesson and all of the lessons it teaches us, no matter what they might be. So, I like this chapter. He, in the chapter, he often speaks about this is a, for the uh, basically a monastic 
this is a monastic life, but I know we can all see this is this is the life we're all. If we're students of the Buddha's teachings, we're all wanting. We may we may not want to be uh, someone living on alms or a mendicant. We may not want to live in a monastery or be even a a Western monk or nun. Um, but but we all are aiming for this. We're all aiming for this understanding and this wisdom, and this insight into how to live our lives from day to day. So. I think this is a really good follow-on to that first chapter. Think of this world is all about, this is the sensory realm. That's why we're always aware that this body is so important for us because all of our senses, our sight and our hearing and our smelling and our taste and our touch, this is what this world is about. And I was laughing at myself because I open up usually with something about the weather, like today's bright and sunny, so it really, you know, ha, ah, it's so wonderful in the middle of the winter. Uh, but he's talking about when we get really, if we only want beauty, if we only want bright, sunny days, then the fear that can come in is, oh dear, we have a stretch of gray days coming up. And because we always talk about the weather, it seems like everyone in every state, every country says, well, you know, the weather's wonderful right now, but it can change in a few minutes. So we all think about that, right? We're always thinking, this is perfect. This is wonderful. Right now, right today, this is how I want it to be all the time. And then immediately we have we have that realization it's not going to be that way it's not going to be like this every day and uh, this is this is the Buddhist teachings this is just really right there we have to accept right at this moment the way things are so this is way before COVID right when he wrote this there are lots of other problems the world. The world never stops having monumental problems. Some of you are too young to remember this, but when the when the AIDS pandemic was uh, going on in the very early 80s and lasted for so long, it was it was just totally devastating, and it was became very political as well, and it polarized people. So. You know, we are we are not that far away from this being this is this is the way it is. So let's see. We have just a little bit of time. Um I was reading something in in an online magazine that I get and it was it said something that Eckhart Tolle re- recently or he wrote in a book. The author was reading the book. And Eckhart Tolle is a really good teacher. He all everything I've ever read from him, it sounds exactly like his take on the Buddha's teachings. So it's very relatable, and he's a great writer. But this, uh, but he's not a Buddhist, so it's pretty remarkable. Um, the thing he said that people should keep remember that the one thing he wanted people to remember to do is the one main thing was to know to come back to their breath whenever 
whenever they could, whenever they were stressed, whenever, whenever they realized they were anxious or worried or stressed, was to come back to their breath, even if it was, you know, just for a few breaths. And I thought, well, we all know that, right? We already know that. That's I'm sure he said it in a really beautiful way. And if you're a, if you're a student of Eckhart Tolle's, it's I mean, it's certainly wonderful advice. But that's what we're practicing all the time, isn't it? We come back to the breath. It's our anchor. And uh, this article, the, the uh, Eckhart Tolle was talking about the time to do it. You do it when you're uh, when you're in a situation where you're becoming impatient or where you're like having to wait in a long line or having to wait at the doctor's office or for an appointment or for someone to show up. Just come back to the breath. And I hope we all know that. If, we, if you are a meditator or if you're learning to meditate, the, the basic teaching, Anapanasati, is, is just breath. It's, all, it's that always coming back to the breath. And it's a beautiful reminder to just in any time of stress. And if we're waiting in a long line, there's usually some stress. You know, it's I don't I don't have all day to stand in this line. How long am I going to be in this line? Is that somebody cutting into the line? You know, it, this is stress. This is stress. This is discontent standing in a long line, and it's the perfect opportunity then to come back to our breath. Uh, even if you're waiting for something to cook on the stove, or some you know the pot's not boiling fast enough. Uh, that's a time to come back to the breath. So now we just have a few minutes, but we can all practice together coming back to the breath. And then when I have to leave, you can keep, you can stay with your breath if you have time. So close your eyes if you can. Just relax in this moment. You're, there's a snowplow outside my door, so I'm sure you'll hear that. Just let it be that background sound we know so well. Be with each in-breath and each out-breath. And if your focus is with the breath, you'll be able to just let your thoughts come and go and you don't need to be distracted by them. They're just there. They'll come and they'll pass on. They won't stay there. They won't get stuck in your head. 
This is the way it is. Just stay with your breath. That's all we're doing. Be aware of how that in-breath feels and how the exhale feels. And let that be perfectly enough my time is up with you and I hope you have a lovely weekend I'll be with you Sunday morning uh, find something good to listen to maybe a teacher to watch over the weekend and most importantly find time to just be with your breath and remember this is the way it is. So every moment we can be with that. Thank you so much for being part of my practice and I hope you have a beautiful day just the way it is. Take good care of yourselves and your loved ones.